0: on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today welcome to the wired to hunt podcast home of the modern whitetail hunter and now your host
1: mark kenyon welcome to the wired to hunt podcast i'm your host mark kenyon and today on the show I'm joined by archery coach and shot IQ founder Joel Turner to discuss what I learned and changed about my shooting process after an in person coaching experience with him this very spring. All right, welcome to the Wire to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. Today we are talking archery, talking how to shoot a bow better. And my guest that I just mentioned is Joel Turner. Now, Joel Turner is, he's a guy and that's a name that I, I think many of you've heard before. Um, he's, he's been becoming a pretty well-known figure in the world of archery and bow hunting, specifically for those people who have ever had problems or challenges with rushing their shots or punching the trigger, or holding off of the target, or any number, basically almost everything that goes wrong when you are trying to shoot at an animal or at a target in high pressure situations, all of that stuff can be distilled down to in one form or another as a symptom of target panic. And target panic is something that I personally have you know, dealt with over the years. It's something I've been pretty candid about on this podcast um, in in many different forms. And, you know, oh gosh, since the very beginning, I think, you know, back in, well, I don't know how old it was. I think I was like 13 or something. I started teaching myself to bow hunt. Me and my dad picked up bows and tried to figure it out. And neither one of us knew what we were doing. Uh, And ever since then, I've just been kind of stumbling along reading stuff, listening to things, talking to people and trying to piece things together. And, you know, eventually I was able to piece things enough together that I could get the job done. Most of the time I was plenty successful enough over the years, but I don't know, maybe three years ago, four years ago, I, I had another situation where a shot was pulled and wasn't hitting right where I wanted to. And a couple things like that happened in one given year. And I said to myself, you know what, I gotta, I gotta do something different. I gotta figure this out. And this would have been maybe 2018, maybe. And I did a podcast with Joel Turner at that time. That's episode 206. I also talked to John Dudley. I talked to a few different people about Target Panic. I worked with some friends. I worked with my buddy Andy May, doing some different drills, doing some different things. I eventually switched to a different kind of release. And all these things helped. Um, I made progress. I had a couple good years where things are going pretty well. But if you listen to the podcast I did about two months ago with Tony, it was called the Whitetail Therapy Session with Tony Peterson. I recapped my 2021 season and a series of events that led to kind of a snowball effect of me losing confidence and, and really happiness with how I was shooting my bow and the results I was getting. And I was again confronted with the fact that, you know, the target panic banshee that I thought I'd banished a few years ago was in fact still there lingering behind the scenes. I just kind of put a bandaid on it for a couple of years and I had to look myself in the mirror and, and say, did I, did I really have true, true control of all these situations in the past? Or was I, you know, just able to get it done in the moment, but really was an autopilot and autopilot happened to work that time. So, all of this came to a head for me about two months ago when a friend of mine, uh, an acquaintance really, haven't spent a ton of time together, but someone who I really respect, who's who's very good at what he does, gave me a call out of the blue. I got a phone call from this person who I hadn't spoke to in years probably. And he said, Mark, I don't want to overstep you know, my boundaries here or anything. I don't want to give you unsolicited advice that you don't want, but I got to tell you something. I've heard you talk on the podcast a couple times this past fall and this spring, and I heard myself in your stories. I've been where you are now, and let me tell you, you have to go visit Joel Turner. You have to. He, he insisted. There was no questions. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. He said, this will change your hunting life. It will bring your joy back. It will bring your confidence back. That's exactly what it did for him. And he was he was so compelling, and this was, this was so genuine that I tossed any other plans I had out the window, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I got a hold of Joel and booked a time to come visit. And sure enough, now it would have been mid-April. I hopped on a plane, headed to Washington State, and got to spend a day and a half with Joel Turner, who has become one of the most... You know, respected and highly sought out archery coaches now in the nation. So, Joel Turner founded Shot IQ, which is his company where he, you know, handles these different archery coaching sessions, these clinics. Uh, He has digital online courses where you can follow what he does. Uh, These courses have been endorsed and promoted and and successfully used by people as well known as Joe Rogan and many others. Um, But I was going to get to go there in person and have him see what I'm doing. And kind of pressure test it, see if I need substantial help, a little bit of help? Do I need to tear it all down and start from the beginning? That's what I wanted to figure out. and joel was was gracious enough to do that and really, really helped me out in a lot of different ways. So that's what we have today is the conversation that Joel and I had just after my full day of coaching together. i've I have never shot so much in one day. We shot for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in many different settings. In a number of different ways, long distance, close distance, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, It was really cool. And I came out of that feeling a lot better about what this upcoming season is going to look like. I'm taking control. I'm going to try to, again, make forward progress and, and not settle for good enough most of the time. So... Hey, if you've been with me since the days when we just started this thing back in 2008, 2009, you know, this has been a roller coaster ride for me as a bow hunter and an archer. And I share all this with you because I hope that this is something that can resonate with some of you that are experiencing something similar. And I hope this is something that will help you too, because there's a whole lot of folks out there talking about bow hunting and out there hunting, and you you just see them succeed all the time. You see all the great stuff they do. And you never see the fact that they are humans, they are mortals that make mistakes too. And uh, the fact is that I am certainly as mortal as anyone. And I'm just going to lay those mistakes out in front of you, which I have, for better or for worse. And hopefully this can be the beginning of a story of one of the successes that you get to follow along with as well. And hopefully the same goes for you guys too. So here's my recommendation for you. If you have not listened to episode 206, I'd highly recommend you go and listen to that one first. I'd hit pause on this and then go search for Wired to Hunt episode 206 because that one, we go really, really deep into the foundations of Joel's whole process. The whole science and background and foundation of the way he teaches archery, the way he um, has found the science to back up the best way to shoot the best way to build your archery process. Um, we we dabble in that in this episode. We kind of cover a Cliff Notes version of it. So if you, if you can't go back and listen to 206, we'll try to give you the basic bare bones idea of like, hey, this is what he does. This is what the philosophy is. This is the basic gist of it. But I really think you would get more out of this if you go back and listen to all of 206 first, because that's going to give you the really strong foundation and context. It'll give you the language and the understanding so that when you jump up to this one now and you get to hear about the exercises I did. You'll get to hear about the different things that Joel talked to me about. Um, It'll all make a lot more sense. And then yes, we'll cover a few things again, but I think that by covering it in a review kind of format, it'll all click more for you. And then as we're walking through the actual practice that I go through, the actual drills I went through, the actual step-by-step plan that I put in place, the shooting process that I put in place, I think it'll all really click into place if you have that prior foundation. So that's my my ask. I know that's a lot to commit to, going back and listening to another podcast as well, but I do think you'll get more out of this episode. So 206, and then tune into this one to see what I did with Joel in person and to hear about what I'm gonna be doing about or what I'm gonna be doing in the future. And then I guess the final thing is stick with me through the fall. Let's see how all this plays out. Let's see if I can get better, if I can learn, if I can grow, if I can execute on some of these changes that I'm talking about. I sure plan on it and I'm excited about that and excited to share that with you guys and hopefully to hear about similar stories from all of you as well. So here's to get in control of our bow hunting and archery game. Here's to getting better at it. Man, it's one of the craziest, most exciting, most exhilarating, frustrating, satisfying, enjoyable things. Uh, crazy experiences in the world, right? That's why we love this stuff so much. And, uh, I'm here to keep on climbing up the mountain, trying to get to that point where I can be the best I can be and, uh, really get the most out of this thing as possible. So that's why we did this podcast today. That's why I'm talking to Joel Turner. I think you're really going to enjoy this. I think you'll really enjoy episode 206. This is some of the best archery content I've found anywhere as far as what Joel has to teach. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. So, here's me and Joel sitting in his house in Washington state recapping my day with him this April. All right, I am here now with Joel Turner. Mhm. Shot IQ. Joel. I just got to say thank you.
2: It's been a day, buddy. It has been
1: a day. It's yeah. been a good day. Uh-huh. And I uh I'm very appreciative. Yeah. So, what I want to do here now is rewind the tape a bit, and Mm -hmm. set the stage, lay some groundwork for folks that haven't listened to the first podcast we did a number of years ago. So Mm -hmm. so touch a little bit about that, and then fast forward and spend most of our time diving into what happened today. Mm -hmm. But for that kind of groundwork, can you start with the story you told me earlier this morning about how you came to the epiphany that opened your eyes to this new world of shooting that you now occupy? How did you get here?
2: So, do you want the firearms instruction story, or do you want the archery story from 2008? I was thinking the archery story. Okay.
1: But if you feel like the firearms one is important to to understand this, then...
2: Yeah, it it's of utmost importance because I did not know how to concentrate back then. And being a new police officer, a new firearms instructor, a person that had somewhat gained control of a firearm shot at this point, but I did not know how to transfer that information. And that's when, you know, we just one academy class. I was a fairly new instructor and for decades the firearms instruction had been front sight, front sight, front sight. That's what the instructors would yell all the time. Front sight, front sight, front sight. You need to have clear focus on the front sight and everything was about aiming. But then they would talk extensively about trigger work and pressing the trigger slowly and and all of these things and letting it surprise you and all this stuff. But nobody ever told me or anybody else how to actually do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've all had instruction from grandparents and parents of let it surprise you, you know, press trigger slowly or whatever it may be, squeeze the trigger and all these things. So starting to figure things out, but not necessarily knowing how to transfer it to other people. And then I had that one recruit, and I was keeping my eye on this kid, I'll call him at the time, and he was what we would call a nervous Nelly. (laughs) And so the target's at 20 yards, and he's bouncing bullets off the floor of the academy range, and they were hitting (laughs) at about the 15-yard mark. So his pre-ignition movements were extraordinary, right? I mean, just a very... His yips and yeah, everything before very the shot. Nervous personality. His flinch was massive, and I watched him bounce a couple bullets off the floor. And then I went over to him, and I'm thinking to myself, "How in the world am I going to get this kid to concentrate on the trigger press?" Because it yeah. was a precision environment that we had, that we were shooting at that particular moment. We just wanted him to get rounds into the ten ring at twenty yards, which is a fairly difficult distance with a pistol. And so that's when. I just, I got on the driver's side of his pistol so I could see the tip of his finger. He's a right-handed shooter. And I said, okay, I want you to take the slack out of the trigger, but don't make the gun go off. And I watched him, his finger moved to the pressure wall on the trigger, and he was shooting a Glock. And I said, okay, start pressing the trigger, but don't make the gun go off. And once I saw his finger move, that's when I started talking him through the shot. Me, I was doing the talking. And so I'm saying to him, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. And I'm watching his finger move in the exact rate of my speech. And finally that shot broke and he shot it right through the middle because it was the first time ever that it was a surprise break for Mm -hmm. him. And it scared him and it it was supposed to, right? So that was my light bulb moment for all of this control process shooting was I went, I had complete control of this kid's mind through what I said. And then I started to think about firearms instruction in a different way. I started to think, why do we keep yelling front sight, front sight, front sight at these these shooters? Because all that does is put their conscious mind into the sight system when it needs to be in the trigger movement. And so I completely changed uh, how we thought about firearm shooting and in that time frame, this is about 2003. So in that time frame, I am uh, just now starting to gain control of my own shot in archery. I was shooting a compound bear bow at the time, and I put a clicker on my bow. And so I was able to use that as a mechanoreceptive trigger, so I would draw back and aim, and then I would expand with some back tension and some forward pressure until that clicker would click. and you'd let it go, right? And that gave me some more control, but I didn't understand the science of it at the time. Mm -hmm. And so several years went by of being able to do it on a target range, but not being able to do it on a critter. And then fast forward to 2008. So I'm, I'm really working on the firearms instruction end of it, but then I'm taking the things that I'm learning in firearms and I'm putting it over to the archery side. And so... Uh, 2008 comes along. I'm hunting down the King Ranch, and I'm not hitting anything. I mean, I've shot at least ten shots on this hunt, and so I got a little pissed off at my buddies because they were making fun of me, right? Because and so
1: when you're sorry to interrupt, oh, but when ahead. you're when you're not hitting stuff,
2: what are you doing that's making you not hit stuff? I'm I'm just barely getting to the aim, and then that would trigger my shot. Okay. So as soon as I would get a, an aim on a critter. I would shoot, but because I was allowing my subconscious to tell itself when to let go, it was linking pre-ignition movements to my release motor program, which carried me outside the acceptable range. I was missing, Mm -hmm. right? So this one shot uh, came along. It was, you know, 10 shots into this hunt. And I went to a feeder by myself, got a little pissed off, went to a feeder by myself. Uh, I set the feeder off. I tucked myself back in the brush. And here comes the hog, right? This big brown and black hog. And he's coming in at 50 yards out. I said to myself, this time, Turner, this time you're going to do it right. And that was a decision that I made not knowing it at the time. And then that hog comes in at 20 yards and turns broadside. And we all know that feeling of when we believe the shot is imminent. And that's when we have physiological changes happen to our body where we get adrenaline, we sweat, we, you know, our respiration goes up and blood pressure goes up and all these things, your body readies itself for a stressful situation, right? A stressful environment. And so I, I made that one decision when that hog was 50 yards out, but then when he got to 20 and turned broadside, I got all that adrenaline dump and all that stuff. So I just, I drew my bow back and I had drawn my bow back so many times and had this feeling of anxiety This knowledge that I wasn't going to get through my clicker. All the same nightmare was happening all over again in this shot. But for some reason, I don't know if I was just pissed off enough at that point or whatever, I got to full draw on that hog and I was locked off the target. I was locked low and I knew I was locked low. And it wasn't wasn't going well. So that one time I said, I ain't doing this again. And that's when I let that shot down. And at that moment, it finally meant more to me to stay in the shot process than to kill the hog. And I'm telling you right now, if I wouldn't have had Texas, I don't think I would ever reach that point. Because in Texas, you get multiple shots per day on certain critters or Mm -hmm. hogs or jackrabbits or whatever it may be. And in Washington here, I get one, maybe two arrows a year. So it was a lifetime of fail, wait a year, fail twice, wait a year, fail again, right? Yep. And just the learning curve, just it takes way too long when you're in a place like Washington where you just don't get very many opportunities. Mm-hmm. So Texas was it for me. And so I let that shot down. And again, that was my turning point. That's the point at which it meant more to me to stay in that shot process than to kill that hog. So before I drew the bow back again, because the hog didn't see me, before I drew that bow back again, I said, I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly or I'm not going to shoot it at all. First time I'd ever made what we call now the original decision. And so I drew my bow back with this newfound knowledge and purpose, right? Because I knew how to shoot a controlled shot. I just never could put it together on a game animal. So I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly or not at all. And I drew my bow back. And as I'm drawing my bow back, I said, I'm going to do this right. And that was the first time I'd ever made a decision within the shot process. So I've got a decision I made before the shot process. Now I'm drawing my bow with knowledge and purpose. As I draw my bow back, I make another decision. I'm going to shoot this shot perfect. I said, I'm going to do this right. It's what we call the half-draw moment. Mm-hmm. And then, so I got my aim, and I was present now. I was in this process, and I'm aiming at this hog, and all I really need to do is let the arrow go. But because I was so present, I remembered, oh yeah, dummy, you got to get through the clicker. So that's when I said, here I go. And then keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. And I'm working through that clicker, and it, the clicker clicks, and I shoot that arrow, and I smoke that hog. But I never blueprinted how I did it, right? And that's what took so many years between 2008 and 2014, because I wasn't blueprinting it. I so had a couple of successes.
1: You did it right, but you weren't able to describe exactly what you did right, right along the way. I
2: didn't even try yeah. I didn't even analyze it. I just was celebrating the fact that I finally controlled a shot on a game animal. Yep. But I never blueprinted it until December 14th, 2014. So on the 14th, you did the same kind of
1: thing, but you looked back on it and you said, Okay, wow, I made this original decision. Yep. I made this decision within the process. Mm-hmm. And then I had what you now call the critical second mm-hmm. where you just where you say, Okay, now it's now it's go time. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And then finally you had this final mantra that you worked through the trigger, mm-hmm. worked through that final release process or movement, yep. I guess.
2: Yep, and you know, during all, these, all this time between 2003 and 2014, I'm just trying to work this system, but all I had was experience. I did not know the science of what I was trying to do. And that's when that one gentleman said, what you're doing works, but it's not right. And I said, well, I want to know what's right. So he said, "Well, you got to take my class." And so I took his class in advanced concepts and motor learning and performance. And that gave me the scientific basis for all the things that worked and didn't work and how your mind actually functions in high-stress shooting events and how it works against you in almost every step of the way.
1: So can you give me the cliff notes version? We did a deep deeper dive into this last time, but can you give me the cliff notes version of the open loop versus closed loop, which mm-hmm. I think was the the main point of what that class was you took with mm-hmm. that gentleman, right? That's right. when you kind of dove into that. So what at a high level does that look like?
2: So open loop control system would be a control system that's used for any movement that is supposed to be fast enough. You're not supposed to gain feedback within it, like swinging a baseball bat, swinging a golf club, throwing a football, any of those movements are, you you start in a cognitive stage of learning where it's very choppy and it has mm-hmm. steps to it. And then you practice with the goal of becoming automatic. Yeah, muscle memory. Yeah, right. so, and, you know, it's just building motor programs. So that's the, the human learning model. That's how we, we start cognitive, then we practice with the goal of becoming automatic. And the problem with shooting is that we follow that same pattern. But, the, but shooting involves an explosion that your mm-hmm. mind has an aversion to from birth. So open loop is where your mind wants to go. It is the brain sending a motor program to the effector. The effector is the the muscle group that catches the motor program. And it's too fast to gain feedback within it. And for most sports, that's good. For most movements, that's a good thing. But for trigger work, it's not. Because if you go open loop in your trigger, meaning punching the trigger, you're moving your trigger at a rate that's so fast you cannot stop it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you cannot gain feedback within it. Therefore, your mind is open then to link pre-ignition movements to that trigger motor program, like the flinch in a firearm. It's the exact same thing with a bow. It's just those pre-ignition movements get masked by the bow going off because we don't have a safety on our bow, right? We don't have a bow that only goes off some of
1: the time, right? (laughs) And so in an archer, this looks like rushing the shot this yeah. looks like punching the trigger as yeah, soon very as the efficient. pins on it's very efficient that as kind soon of as stuff, that
2: right? pin as soon as that pin gets on or as soon as the pin gets close you start your mind wants to use that sight picture as the shot stimulus yep so as soon as the, and that makes intuitive sense my pins on shoot it mm-hmm. right but if you want to go precise if you want to get good and accurate there has to be a moment where you stop the train and go closed loop closed loop is slow enough the movement is now slow enough you could stop it anywhere within it. Slow enough you can now gain feedback within the movement. Like if you watch Bodie's hinge work, or if you watch me work a grip sear on a, on a stick bow, the movement is so slow that it's almost imperceptible. But we are working, right? And now you've experienced that where you mm-hmm. hook that finger around the trigger and you're working and you're talking yourself through that so that you can concentrate on it and it's moving so slow. That you could stop it anywhere within it, and then all of a sudden it breaks, and your mind doesn't know when it's going to break. Therefore, it doesn't know when to put pre-ignition movements in there. Yeah, it's basically the conscious override. I mean, I I don't consider myself a shooting instructor. I teach the conscious defiance of human nature, right? <laughs> Literally, yeah. that's what we're that's that is what we are teaching. It's a much better title. Yeah. But will left fit on a business card? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I
1: don't know. <laughs>
0: and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater.
1: So, okay. So, closed-loop shooting, Mm -hmm. closed-loop processes allow us to retake control Mm -hmm. of our shot. What does that... What does that actually well let me let me get let me take a different angle at this I guess we chatted three years ago or four okay. years ago or something mm-hmm. and i'd I'd listened to some other things you'd done with other people and then we chatted through this and you told me about closed loop versus open loop and mm-hmm. we talked about how you know you want to have you know actual you know words or phrases that you use to lock yourself into this process mm-hmm. along the way mm-hmm. um and that allows you to retake that control. Mm-hmm. So so I heard those things and I started trying to put some of that into effect. And then you know, I, I did a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And then probably the next year I was convinced to try using a silverback, mm-hmm. which then is is you know a tension release that mm-hmm. kept me from being able to punch a trigger and I, right. I was forced to slow down to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a couple of years, you know, that worked. I had better shots on animals. I felt like behind the house practicing. I felt you know mm-hmm. in control and all that. Mm-hmm. And then this past season You know, stuff started not going right, Mm -hmm. and then that built on to after the first hunt didn't go right, then I'm thinking more and more about it in the second hunt, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't go quite right. I definitely know I rushed a shot on my second hunt, so now I'm thinking about it more and more and more. In the third hunt, I had a series of things where I rushed the shot again and clear missed an animal. Now Mm -hmm. by the fourth hunt, I'm, you know, actively turning down shots that I Mm -hmm. would have taken three months earlier. Yep. And so now stuff's just crumbling. My confidence is crumbling. Mm -hmm. Everything's crumbling. I realized at the end of the year, you know, I need to reassess where I'm at and what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. A friend's recommendation brought me back to you. Mm -hmm. And this time thinking, okay, I I can't just listen to what he said and say, I'll take a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. Instead it was, okay, I need to completely build myself back up and do it perfectly, do it the full way that it's supposed to be done which is what brought me here today. Mm-hmm. So this morning, we got together. I told you this story. I told mm-hmm. you what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I told you what I'd tried so far. Mm-hmm. What was your analysis of my situation when I, when I showed up at your doorstep and you heard what I had to say and you saw me shoot a few times? Mm-hmm. What, was, what was like your diagnosis? What was wrong with me? or wh- Where was I at? Or what was my problem when you heard all of those things?
2: So you were almost there just because I know that you have knowledge of this system from our previous conversations, and then you get to shoot quite a few critters per year, you were almost there, but you were not accepting the science of how it really worked. And and maybe you weren't aware of the science and how it worked, but I knew that it would be an easy fix just, just from listening to you talk and when I can assess somebody's personality I instantly know, and then we do the signature test, and I instantly know how easy it's going to be for you because that signature test you know tests your ability to make decisions right, and how deep is your determination well mm-hmm. you know you were you were determined you're a very determined person, but that led to frustration only because you may not have understood what to do with your determination, yeah right you needed to turn your determination into not better shooting, you needed to turn into better thinking, right? And how to actually think your way through a shot. Yeah. So the first time I watched you shoot a shot, I mean, I gave you a release that you'd never even shot before. I didn't let you shoot the silverback. Yep. And this is nothing against tension active releases. They are a phenomenal tool, and I use them very regularly in my clinics. I use them for a very specific purpose. Because if somebody goes to a tension active release, because it's the only one they can control, then you get stuck in that. Yep. And, and I don't want people to be stuck. I want you to be able to run any release you want, right? Anything from, you know, index finger trigger, thumb button, hinge, hinge with a safety, hinge without a safety, it doesn't matter, whatever, tension activated. You should be able to run them all if you understand the trigger system. So I don't want people to get stuck because a tension activated release forces you into the decision of movement. Safety goes in, draw back and aim, safety comes off. So it gives you this big separation from the aim by taking the safety off. And then if you don't decide to move, your bow's not going to go off. So it forces you into the decision. Whereas I want you to be able to make that decision with any release and run anything. So I knew that just from you shooting the silverback so much, I knew that you it would be an easy fix, right? And then when I gave you that, that uh, B3 Hawk Flex and had you shoot it, I watched you put your finger around the trigger and then you started to move and it didn't go off because I've got it set really tight. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go off. So there was this, you can see this confusion start in your mind. I mean, I'm watching all this in one shot, yeah. the first shot that you shot in front of me. So you started and then it stopped and then you punch the trigger, right? And when I asked you what you were thinking about, you were thinking about the release and the movement, and you were thinking, instead of about the movement, you were thinking, when's this thing going to go off? Mm -hmm. How much pressure do I got to put on this thing? Man, this thing's tight. All of those thoughts do not equal movement, right? So you weren't actually putting your conscious mind into the movement, it was stuck in questions. Why isn't it going off? When's it going to go off? And that's as soon as your thought process leaves the movement, the subconscious rushes in, autopilot, punches the trigger for you, and puts pre-ignition movements along with your trigger motor program. Yeah. But then your second and third shot were better, still a little bit of open loop in the trigger, and that just told me that's it's going to be an easy fix. Right. So, so from
1: there, I think we then talked through how I need to start putting both decisions and words to my entire process, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, first we talked about the aim, right? And the science of aiming and visual proprioception, how you really don't have any control over your aim anyways. You
1: You had had a really great little exercise I did that was really um, interesting, which was where you told me, like, hold up a pistol yeah, like if I was going to be shooting Uh a gun. And then... You just want me to aim it and not do nothing but aim it. And then, well, maybe you should tell me what you did. Yeah, so I
2: I put your conscious mind into the aim, and then I gave you impact within the aiming system. So I simply got you to aim at a target with your little thumb front sight, Mm -hmm. and then I tap your hands, and you can see my hand coming at your hand. And so your body formulates motor programs against, it formulates reactions against that impact, and then I, when I miss your hand, you move significantly yeah. and because your mind believed the impact was coming. yeah. So that's exactly what happens in a shot where your mind is using the sight or the sight picture as the stimulus for your shot. And if you put your conscious mind in that, you're going to punch the trigger every single mm-hmm. time. Every single time.
1: And so then the, the other thing is you were describing with that aim is that if we just, if I aim... And I'm, what I'm looking at, it will naturally want to go back to there mm-hmm. so so describe describe why what am I trying to say here? I think in the past, you know pre I, I've had a several step process mm-hmm. I, I made one set of progress when we first talked, and when mm-hmm. I switched to the silver back, that's when I started to learn not to focus on trying to hold the pin rock steady. Mm-hmm. I did get better at just letting the pin hover mm-hmm. and and just let it naturally do what you're mm-hmm. you're describing. And then I think where I've had to now make this next step is is focusing my mind now into really getting this next movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but walk me through that whole aiming, walk me through what I sort of learned a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when it comes to just letting it flow, letting it be and not being focused on that.
2: Right. You literally have no control, no physical control over your aim. It's, it's through a system called visual proprioception. So the analogy that I like to use is driving. So you are driving down the road and you get visual feedback to your vehicles veering slightly to the left and you make an automatic correction on the steering wheel without even having to think about it. You make a correction on the steering wheel and when you get the right visual feedback to your vehicles back in the center of the lane, that movement on the steering wheel stops and then goes the other direction based on the next visual feedback that you get. So no matter which way your pin moves, its next movement is always back to the center. And that's not done physically, it's done mentally. Your subconscious is very good at aiming, and mm-hmm. that's where you should leave it, right? You should let the subconscious have the aim. So draw back and aim, get it done. Don't be moving slowly into the target. You know, coming up from the bottom, down from the top, in from the side. You should not know what direction your pin comes from. All you should know is get it on the target as quickly as possible. And then enjoy the show because you don't have any control over it, anyways. Watch it dance let it do its thing, and move on to way more important things in your shot. Your pin does not need to be in the middle for you to hit the middle. So
1: you're telling me I don't need to pick a hair and have it be staying right on that single hair the entire time just perfect?
2: No. (laughs) But picking a hair, picking a spot, is a good thing because it gives that pin a much more acute anchor point to always come back to, right? Subconsciously. Yeah, so it's not swinging through the lungs, it's swinging through that hair, that hair, that spot that you pick must be the anchor point that it always comes back to, right? And many people out there, many of your listeners, I guarantee you are locked off the target. They can't even put their pin on the target Mm -hmm. and then any movement toward the target causes them to punch the trigger. Yep. So you have, and that's natural and your mind loves you for it, right? It Because it was able to hold you off target so the pin's still in the grenade and then once you yip your bow up or down and then you punch the trigger, your mind is really able to brace you for that impact. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a series of decisions you described to me
1: that I need to make throughout this process mm-hmm. to lock me in. Right. And and I don't know if you want to cover all that or if you want to walk me through just a couple of those key pieces, but but can you lay a little bit of the groundwork there that you talked me through as far as my... I, I kind of view them as like speed bumps along my mm-hmm. route. If, if I'm... if the old me would see a deer come in, and I was drawing back, and the whole thing was like I'm speeding through a stoplight. Maybe mm-hmm. is what I was pre- right. historically doing. Mm-hmm. You've now been putting these great big speed bumps in the way where I have to stop in my mind. I have to take control of the situation. I have to remember. Okay, now I'm moving to this next stage. Mm-hmm. Make this decision. And then I have a set of words that I that I, a phrase I mm-hmm. use that that moves me to the next one, and then I have a stop point, another decision. Can you talk me through? some of why
2: that's important and what some of those decisions are. So if you don't start the shot with the decision, if you start the shot by drawing your bow, you're already way behind the game. If you start the shot with a decision, like I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. Now we're not thinking that's a, you know, that's a huge 10 point buck in front of us. We're thinking about the shot process, right? Mm -hmm. So now you are, I'm shooting this shot with control no matter what. That makes us intensely present. Now when we draw our bow, we draw our bow with knowledge and purpose on how it's going to go, right? It's, we have What we have done today is we have erased the wonder from your shot. Mm-hmm. You should have 0% wonder on how your shot's going to go, Yeah. right? So that, and it all starts with what we call that original decision. Before you draw your bow back, say something. Right, And no matter what is a very strong, determined statement, no matter what. Then you draw your bow back, and if you need more presence, because that's what decisions do for us, say something to yourself as you draw your bow back. If you want to say something about the process, like, I'm going to do this right, whatever it may be, say something when you draw your bow back, and that will make you intensely present for your next task, which is to get the pin on the target. And then you address the trigger as the mechanical signal that you are done aiming. And then, now you're in that critical second. And when you say
1: address the trigger, sorry, that's you're actually putting your finger on the trigger or putting your thumb on the Mm -hmm. button or whatever. So now you're-
2: Or working a hinge to a click mm -hmm. or taking the safety off your tension active release, right? You're now addressing the trigger. And then comes the most important decision in that critical second and gets you through that critical second, that's here I go. Mm-hmm. And we say that because that is verbiage that is used to get people to hurl their bodies out of airplanes. It is the embodiment of the conscious override of your central nervous system that is saying, do not do this, right? Do not do this movement that causes an explosion and attempt to surprise me with that. Yeah. Your, your human mind does not like shooting at all, right? It's all negative smoke, fire, noise, recoil, You know, bows Mm -hmm. blowing up, all these things. So it does not like that. So it literally takes a conscious override, and that's where here I go comes in. And so that's that critical second. Getting yourself through that one second in time after your mind believes the aim is complete. When you get yourself through that one second and you use that second to increase your presence, now we can concentrate on this one task, which is moving the trigger slow enough we mm-hmm. can stop it. And that, that critical
1: second, for many people, I think this is, this is certainly what I've experienced in the mm-hmm. past. And I'm, I think this is what you said for many people. That critical second is when so many people, that's when they want to go. Absolutely. But if you can stop mm-hmm. and, not, and just get past that first wave of, I want to shoot, mm-hmm. you get past that, and then you have this, this, this cue. Mm-hmm. It, it's like say you take the safety off almost. Mm-hmm metaphorically sure but kind of becomes literally taking the safety off then and forcing that slow pause. Yep. Now all of a sudden you can do this next thing which you're describing, which is now your slow movement. Mm-hmm. Which in the past would have been just shot. Right. And now instead it's think this thing, this thing. Mm-hmm. And this you know what's coming. That's yeah.
2: the beauty. That's the power of it is you know exactly what you're doing next in your shot. There is no mystery on how this shot's gonna go. Where the arrow goes, as Donnie Vincent says, is none of your business, right? And it's not, because if you do your process, it's going in the middle. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, you got to see it today. You got to see me perform with my nemesis critter, a coyote, right? So Mark's out there shooting today. And, uh, and a coyote runs out into my field, and you go, hey, there's a coyote. So I instantly run to my gun safe, grab my 6.5 PRC. Literally the worst
1: decision that coyote could have ever made. Right. <laughs> so came in the wrong yard. I
2: run to the gun safe, get the 6.5 PRC. I get out there. I'm, I'm resting over this fence, and that used to be a nightmare scenario for me. I, there's no way I could hit a coyote before I understood the science of how my mind worked. As soon as my crossers used to get on hair... Bingo! Yeah, I, my I, I, I punched that trigger and I would miss because it would my pre-ignition movement that was linked to my trigger motor program would just put me outside the acceptable range. It's not a very big target, mm-hmm. right? So this coyote made the mistake of finally coming out of that little draw and he poked his head up over that over, over the rise, and I was able to shoot him at the base of the ear. Yeah, right at hundred yards. That never would have happened twenty years ago, yeah. fifteen years ago. No way. It was a no strong way.
1: demonstration of your process. <laughs> right.
2: So, uh, you know, that was just, it's with firearms as well. Because when I got my crossers on that thing's head, everything in my being said, punch it, because it's on there, right? Yep. And because I have now a lot of experience with that, I'm like, nope, here I go. And then I worked myself, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, on that trigger until it went off. And, you know, unfortunately for the coyote, he stayed there long enough for me to get through my my process. And that is what you have to get better at is the organization of all the stuff up to here I go. Because after here I go is a very specific speed that you now know, mm-hmm. right? Through your signature test, you now know exactly how fast you can go. But you got to get better at the organization, original decision, right? Draw back a name, get it done, address the trigger, here I go, and then you work. Right, yep. So the shot, a controlled shot, doesn't really take any longer than a normal shot. It's just, it's very organized. Yeah. Right? Now,
1: one thing that I, that I remember you saying and remember me thinking, oh, I should do this, but never stuck with it and actually really truly embedded into my brain and did all the way, was literally say these words throughout the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? Why is it important to not just know that you should think through these things, but actually have specific phrases tied to each part of this process and to go through that in your mind or whisper them to yourself as you go through this process? Why is that important to do? And why did that help me so much more today?
2: Your subconscious is constantly working against you. It's very strong. It's your central nervous system. It is what has kept you alive to this point in your life. Mm -hmm. It has kept you from falling off of cliffs and jumping off of cliffs and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So if you don't verbalize it, right, words are nothing more than attentional cues. And when you speak a mantra or whatever it may be, you create an attention bridge, right, between your brain and your muscles. And so if you don't talk, you're not sending any cars across the bridge, and the bridge breaks, right, because Mm -hmm. there is no connection. So in speaking, it's very important to actually say things. And when you verbalize a decision, then it really intensifies your presence, and that's what was lacking, right? If you just think you know you should do it, but you don't, the subconscious is going to override that every single time. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, you are doing the conscious override of your central nervous system. Yep. And unless, and that only comes from conscious decisions. Like, thinking about jumping off a cliff into water. You got your toesies hanging over the edge. You're not going to jump if you're thinking about the future. Like, I don't know if that water's deep enough. Mm-hmm. You'll never jump at that point. It's not until you bring yourself in and go, here I go. Then and only then can you do a movement that will co- cause your body impact. Yeah. Right. you
1: know another kind of analogy for what i f- feel like a few of these decision inflection points w- was like for me was speed bumps one thing but another i think way to describe it would be like a splash of water in the face mm-hmm. like when when i had to now say at the beginning when i was going to shoot when I, I sat i stood up st- took a step up to the line and said all right no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that was this splash of water into mm-hmm. my face saying, wake up, yeah. you are in control. Mm-hmm. This is going to go your way. This is not going to be the auto the autopilot that happens on mm-hmm. every other shot you've taken in the past. Right. So you get that first splash of water, uh-huh. and you're going through that, you're minding yourself, and then we get to that next one, that next big one, mm-hmm. the critical second. This right. is where I'm like, here I go. So I, I've gotten very good at, I can put that pin on and just let it float and just let it mm-hmm. be there. I've felt comfortable with that, but then it's now that next point and here's the next splash of water in mm-hmm. the face here you go and you're in control of this next move mm-hmm. and that it, it seems so easy when you say it mm-hmm. like just when we're here talking about it sure. but it's so much harder in the moment when like you've said your subconscious mind wants to do this other mm-hmm. thing yeah like but
2: splash of water like shakes you out of it you're right like you said that when we were shooting down at the range there you said that you could still hear that voice yes like a like somebody in the grandstand, a hundred yards away. Yeah. Just punch your mark. Yep. You know? I definitely had
1: those periods where uh-huh. I would I, I could I could hear like almost physically have this like other person in my ear like the the urge mm-hmm. it was like a physical urge I wanted to go back and do that same thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you had told me to do, which has helped, and I still am not getting it perfect all the time mm-hmm. throughout the day. But I but I kept trying to pull myself back as you would say. Use that "here I go" or "here you go" phrase to like sweep, sweep back. It's the broom that like cleans hits the up reset the button. Mess. Yeah. So when when I felt like, ah, gosh, they're whispering to me or they're yelling yeah. at me from the back, I just ah, nope. All right, reset. All right, here we go, and then you're back at it, and right. then it brings you to that reset, yep. back to square one, and then back into mm-hmm. that next move where you said you have to shout out the, you got to shout out the hecklers. So the hecklers are making noise. Mm-hmm. So I've got this part of me that wants to go, 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 mm-hmm. go. And you said you need to talk to yourself louder than the hecklers. Mm-hmm. And you know we talked through using the word, you know just keep pulling, mm-hmm. keep pulling, keep mm-hmm. pulling. You had a very specific way, and this is something I, I still keep working on because mm-hmm. I found myself naturally want to say pull, pull, pull. Mm-hmm. And you told me that was not ideal to use that kind of phrase or speed. When we have some kind of mantra for our triggering, squeezing, mm-hmm. pulling back, that final triggering sequence of mm-hmm. the move, why do the words and the cadence or speed matter? Like wh- what's the ideal way to do that? So
2: what you say is what will move, right? So if you're saying pull, there's already a connection between that word and specific muscle groups and mm-hmm. motor programs. So if you squeeze, that has to do with whole hand manipulation, right? There's pulling, which, you know, hopefully you're doing that by opening your chest to increase that pressure on that trigger. Uh, there's rolling, right? Roll on the hinge. What you say is what will move. How you speak is how you move. Mm-hmm. So if you get into, like, let's say we're going to use the word pull. So for an index finger trigger, this is very handy, right? So you, re- you reach deep around the trigger, get it in the middle failing of your finger, get around that. Other fingers are off the release. Here I go. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. It's very rhythmic, right? And it doesn't have an end to it. Or we can stretch a word, pull, and you hear how it goes up, Mm -hmm. right? If you use the word pull as itself, pull, 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 pull. It's very punchy. You get get incremental movement, and there are gaps in between the pulls, and your subconscious is always looking for the gap. It's mm-hmm. always looking for blank spaces in your shot because it will fill the blank spaces with automatic movements because yep. that's what it wants to do. It's, its ultimate goal is to brace you for impact. And that's, you know, like the core problem in shooting. Your subconscious mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. Yep. It's just not how we're wired, man. So what you say is what will move, how you speak is how you will move. So your movement, if you need to fix a movement, you first have to fix your speech pattern. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if I was ever tell you, slow down, Mark, but I don't tell you how to do that, what are you going to do? First thing you have to do is you have to speak slower. Yeah. You have to slow your rhythm down of your speech because they are linked. Yeah. Your speech and your movement are linked. So
1: so I now knew what I was supposed to do mm-hmm. right. I know I've got a series of decisions and a series of phrases that have to be inserted into my shot process. Mm-hmm. So I step to the line, I get ready. And I was there, right, no matter what. And I start drawing back, I'm going to do this. Right. Is what I would say. Mm-hmm. I anchored in, dropped the pin on there. Mm-hmm. Now it's just floating. And I just would let that float. And then when I was ready, I'd say, all right, here we go. And at that point, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. And it, Mm -hmm. breaks Mm -hmm. that was what i knew i had to do we talked it through i cognitively knew it how how can you describe to me what we did to help shift that from just a cognitive understanding to then it being a physical thing i was doing and, and and actually implementing this you know what did we do physically when you took me out behind your house and walked through that what were the things you were looking for what were the things that you know you saw me doing wrong or right um because it's one thing to hear this stuff and say, okay, I have to do that, that, and that. It's a different thing mm-hmm. to actually put it in action.
2: Quickly. Well, it only took you a few times to write your signature perfectly. So I know from that you're a good decision maker. So it was from the first shot, you didn't punch the trigger. I haven't seen you punch a trigger since mm-hmm. our, our lesson, right? So, and I I don't expect to. As long as you decide to control it, you will control it now. Yeah. So- I saw it in the first shot where after, the, after our, our talk, you hooked into that trigger and you started pulling. And you even verbalized your, you verbalized them out loud, yep. right? And then I made you stop talking out loud because that's not what you're going to do when there's a big buck there, yep. right? And plus when you speak out loud, you're using air. You're dispelling air, yep. so you'll run out of air much more quickly in your shot. That's why this has to be an internal dialogue. And so you have to get good at speaking inside your head. Mm -hmm. And so the application of it was completely on you, right? And if I have, like if you wouldn't make the decision to do it, like if you kept punching the trigger, I would then put you on a tension activated release and it's probably not going to go off. Mm -hmm. I'd screw that sucker down to where it wouldn't go off. I'd hand it to you and you already know how to work that type of a trigger. So I wouldn't have to explain it to you, but you'd push that safety and you'd draw back and you let the safety off, and you'd start pulling, and I would see the exact moment where you go open loop. Yep. And I'd see a big old huck and chuck there, right? It would yep. be, it, it's fairly dramatic when it happens. And then we would, I would have you blueprint that. What were you thinking about after here I go? Yep. And you would say, well, I was thinking about, and this happens a lot with folks, well, I was thinking about pulling, but then I thought, man, when is this thing going to go off? Uh-huh. And that is the moment that the autopilot comes in yeah. and just trashes the party, Right. Do you think that even
1: though the silverback going to attention wasn't my ultimate final fix, do you think the fact that I spent so much time on that has prepared me, has made me better at making this shift because
2: I had that kind of stopgap transition phase? It it made you better only because it got you to let go of the aim. Yeah. And that's what that taught you. It got you to let go of the aim, which was obviously a very positive thing. But if I would have, if you would have gone back to an index finger trigger without this instruction, you would eventually start punching the crap out of that yeah. thing. It happens to every single person unless yep. you decide not to. And knowing what decisions you're going to make, when you're going to make them, and how to carry them out, that's what you learned today. Yeah, And that's how we
1: removed the mystery. So then, so then, keep 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 walking me through some of the things we were doing there in person. Then, so how do we start practicing this in a way that both puts some pressure into the system to mm-hmm. test like things mistakes? Mm-hmm. stakes? Can can you walk me through a few of those things? Yeah. And so the first thing, thing I you were did watching is, me do.
2: First thing I did is I I took one of your arrows and I started slapping you in the stomach with it, right, while you're mm-hmm. at full draw. And then I started hitting you at the brim of your hat, yep, and causing you to pretty intense blinking, right. Yep. And you were a rock star, right? You stayed in it, and that's how I get you reps in bringing your mind back to where it needs to be. Because yep. I will cause a distraction, and your mind, your conscious mind, will go to the distraction. Your release movement will instantly stop, and then I keep going with it. Maybe it's slapping your head like with with Bomar. It was it was pouring water over his head, <laughs> right? A five gallon bucket of water wow. while he's at full draw, and so. Anything that I did to you after our lesson made you stronger because your little F.U. Turner factor yeah. went, went up, right? Yeah. Your watch this factor went up. So you've, you felt the distraction, and then you're like, nope, I don't care what he's doing, and hopefully I'm, I'm thinking that you talked louder yeah. than the stress that was coming in yeah I felt like that was
1: one of the most powerful things like I, I almost wish that I could have someone with me all the time just trying to tap me on the head yeah. and do that kind of stuff because I that really really forced me into it uh-huh. and like you said it made my my inside voice have to scream louder yeah and that that struggle to get that control uh-huh. made it stronger for the rest of yeah. the
2: time and that's you know that is the skill the skill is not hitting the target the skill is putting your mind where it needs to be mm-hmm And that's why you do these drills, like standing on one foot and shooting. Yeah, so talk talk about that one, because that was crazy. Yeah, so so I had you draw back and aim, and then lift that foot up. So now your mind is going from the aim, which is now huge. The Mm -hmm. range of your pin is now huge, right? And then it goes to balance, and then you got to snatch it away from that and put it back into your movement. And then it leaves that movement because it goes back into the aim. Yep. And then it goes into balance. And then you snatch it back, right? Yep. So you get massive reps in bringing your mind back yeah. when you stand on one foot and shoot. It was an incredible drill. Yeah, it's awesome. We've done that with some some pretty high-level folks.
1: And I can't believe I actually didn't do too bad with it. You smoked it. I, it. Thought, I, mean, I you, thought I was going to, oh, this is going to be god-awful. 50-yard yeah. shots. Yeah. like
2: 50 yards, and you put them all in the 10 ring of that yeah. caribou target.
1: Yeah, old me. Shooting 50 yards with both feet planted would have been like, well, this hopefully it'll go okay, Yeah, but on one foot.
2: You know, and old you, with an index finger trigger, old you would have punched the trigger yeah. when your pin was on. Absolutely. And there's no way that it would have went where you thought it was going to go.
1: And, man, those days, I can tell you so many times, four years ago, where I'd be lining up to go shoot at a camp with a bunch of people or I'd be going back behind the house with a bunch of friends and Mm -hmm. we'd be shooting and I'd have this like tight chest feeling like, Mm -hmm. ah, gosh. And then, yeah, like you just, it it wasn't even fun anymore Mm -hmm. because I just was nervous. Ah, you're going to pull one. Ah, you're going to screw this up. And yeah, as soon as that pin would get on the target, bam, there it goes. Uh And plenty of them would go fine, but then you'd have plenty that would go off. And the Uh whole time you've got this underlying anxiety. Yeah. And this is this has been like a the last couple of years have been better, forcing uh-huh. myself to have a mechanical slowdown. Mm-hmm. And now here today, I mean I I did so much better than I thought would be possible mm-hmm. given that these these relatively simple steps to take back control. Yeah. Um
2: it's very specific and like I always say, it's literally life changing because Mankind has been looking for the answers to these questions Mm -hmm. for, you know, centuries, literally. And and that that may be an arrogant statement, but I read everything there was to read about target panic. I watched every video that's ever been put out about target panic, as most people have, because we're looking for a solution that works for us. Mm -hmm. We're looking for instruction. Oh, I hope that works for us. And the first thing I will tell you is, There is no instruction in shooting that works for you because your central nervous system says, nay, nay, right? Mm -hmm. It's not gonna, there is no such thing as instruction that works for you. There is a release that you can evaluate better than another release, but it doesn't work any better for you. It's just a hunk of metal. It doesn't make any decisions for you, right? So these true skills of decision-making, finding your determination is first. I can't teach you that. I can help you find it, right? Through ridicule or maybe physical exertion, whatever I always tell people, you're gonna have to hate me a little bit, (laughs) right? It's gotta be temporary, but you're gonna have to hate me a little bit so that you go, no, Turner, I ain't going out like that. Watch this, right? So finding that determination first and then turning that determination into conscious decisions. The decisions increase your presence. Once you are present enough, then and only then can you concentrate and learning how to concentrate and all those things, those are the true skills that we've been looking for. Mm-hmm. And it is very powerful stuff. I love teaching this stuff, man.
1: So so we did the 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 balancing on one foot mm-hmm. drill. We did the you being there with me, hitting me on the head and poking me and prodding me and yelling at me and saying stuff like that. That was one thing. Mm-hmm. What are some you mentioned a handful of other drills that I could try at home on my own? Um, could you walk me through a couple other things yeah. people could do if they, if they are trying to do this and now they want to, you know, have some kind of additional challenge or higher stakes to, to somewhat simulate the challenge of a high intensity shot moment.
2: So one of the things that I do, and I learned this from Dan Staten at Shape was this stress shooting test where I will just go out and stick three arrows in the ground. Usually one's around 40, one's around 25, one's at 20, let's say. And, you know, make it whatever you want. I don't care. And you start at the first arrow, bow in hand, and you run to a designated place. Like I have a fence that the total runs about maybe 120 yards, I guess. So I'll sprint to the fence. I'll sprint back to that first arrow. Now I'm breathing a little hard. So now I've got to gather myself up and make this 40 or 50 yard shot with my stick bow. So, you know, your chest is heaving a little bit. You're not totally gassed at this point, depending on your physical fitness level. And then, uh, so you shoot that shot, right? And then you take off and you run to the fence again. Then you run to the next arrow and the next arrow, you have to do 30 air squats. So you do 30 air squats. Now your legs are burning a bit and you're huffing and puffing a bit more, so we have to learn to shoot on a breath because if we're breathing during our shooting, we're going to have way too much sight movement. It's Mm going to draw your conscious mind. So now you got to just kind of suck it up, and you just stop that one breath, and you shoot that shot. Now you run back to the fence. You run back up to that third arrow, and now you do 30 lunges, right? Um, So you do 30 lunges, and then you shoot that arrow. So it's just... It's getting a simulation of the fact that you can never take the same body with you to the line, right? You don't have control over the physiological changes that happen to you when you go, oh my God, this is going to happen, right? (laughs) And so that's when you get that microburst of adrenaline, all these things happen. And that's when we have to remain cognitive, And so, you know, depending on what you want to do for physical fitness, that's a drill that I try to do, you know, at least twice a week. And it doesn't, you know, I'm to the point now where I seek stress so much that it doesn't, you know, that doesn't really do it. I I do it just more to stay in shape now, right? Uh, You can have your kids wrap themselves around your legs. Right, that's an easy one. You can, yeah, right. I mean, have them if if you give them permission to mess with you, Mm -hmm. they're going to mess with you, Mm -hmm. right? And you got to use it to make you stronger. Have them push on your on your waist so it moves your body in big movements, and then like wind, right? Go and shoot in the wind. Hmm. Learn how to hold off in the wind. Learn what a new a new center looks like. Meaning, you know, if you got a massive wind coming ninety degrees. You're, the middle of the target is not your X anymore. You may have to hold in the nine ring on a on an 80 centimeter face, or you may have to hold back a little bit in the guts. You may have to hold up in the shoulder of that deer. Now, that's your new center. Once you pick your sight picture, that's your sight picture. It's always going to dance back mm. to that X, yeah. right? So. Any of these things we can do, like we went and shot extreme ranges. I mean, I watched you dump one dead center at 77 yards today, right? You learned about pin stacking today and and how to actually do it and how to account for bigger gaps at longer ranges and these things. So you learned all kinds of things, but it was the main thing is it's just another aim. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people will tell me, man, I'm good out to about 15, a stick bow a lot of times. I'm really good out to 15, but man, you get me to 16, 20 yards, I'm a mess. Like, why is that? It's no different in the shot. It's just a different aim, right? And the closer, especially for traditional archers, the closer their point gets to the target, their point on distance, the more anxiety, because now they know there's no question that they're on or they're not, right? So now they see that they're locked off the target and it just, it's a downward spiral. It's a nightmare. But it's the same thing in the compound world with people that are locked off target there. Yeah, and
1: going to these longer ranges, I remember old me, knew I should shoot longer range mm-hmm. to, to to practice at that and I knew that if you practice more at longer ranges it'll make the shorter ranges easier mm-hmm. um, so I did some of that you know I, I couldn't stretch out this far but I would shoot you know 60 you know, and I think I had a little corner I could shoot maybe 65 and so mm-hmm. I would do that but I certainly remember being stressed about you know losing arrows mm-hmm. and if that if that pin was waving off of it mm-hmm. all I always remember thinking gosh I, I'm moving so much mm-hmm. and you know still in that trigger punching phase Right. And, you know, so that was just like anxiety inducing mm-hmm. and there's no way I could trust that even if my pins going here and there, they could possibly find center. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've slowly been getting better at letting it float. And then today doing what we did, going through this process. Now we're stretching out 77 yards, mm-hmm. 90 yards, a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever shot those far, that far before. Right. And, and just trusting like, I, I, I had no anxiety about letting it float anymore, mm-hmm. about letting it, I mean, big movements. Mm-hmm. And I was just in, you know, just that that process, and I just got it generally on there and then just focused on mm-hmm. making the, you know, going through that movement. Right. And then somehow by magic, these things <laughs> generally zero into the right right, right. spot. It's yeah. it's It's
2: wild. Yeah. It really is. You cannot consciously aim better than you can subconsciously mm-hmm. aim. I mean, you could, a, a drill you can do is just, you know, grab a pen, put it up, put it on something on the wall, hold it at full extension with the writing tip up, and watch it dance. Right? No matter which way it moves, its next movement is back to the center. Mm-hmm. And, but for some personalities, that's very difficult to let go of. Yeah. Right. If you get a very analytical mind that likes to control things, they have trouble letting that go. And literally, my job as the instructor is to get you to the realization that you don't have control over it, no matter how much you want to concentrate on it or what. And if you put concentration in it, you're going open loop on the trigger. That's not my opinion. That's just how we're wired. Yeah.
0: And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. So you mentioned
1: all these drills. One drill that you didn't mention that gets brought up a whole lot when people talk about target panic issues mm-hmm. is blind bailing. Yeah, shooting into a bale. Yeah,
2: why don't you recommend that so much? It's not that I don't recommend it. I I just, I know it's factual that there is no transfer of that physical feeling from that shot to an actual aimed shot. So people will draw back on a blank bail, and because they're not aiming at anything, or maybe they have their eyes closed, the timing mechanism for your pre-ignition movements is now shut off. So Therefore, you are much more free to concentrate on certain aspects of your shot. Like you'll find it's much easier to pull through a shot when you have your eyes closed Mm -hmm. because you completely shut off the subconscious that's screaming at you to let it go when the pin is on. So, but if we took a blank bale shot and you blueprinted it like you do with your aimed shot, if you drew back and aim on a blank bale, and you ran perfection. I mean, everything's perfect, and you're feeling that movement, and everything's going right, and pa, the shot breaks as a surprise. And then you blueprint that. What am I thinking after here I go? What am I saying after here I go? Could I have stopped it? What decisions did I make? Right. You can see how that gets very mundane. Mm-hmm. But people will go, man, my instructor told me to do six months of blank bail, so I shot, whatever, 10,000 arrows blank bail. And then they go to a tournament, and it all goes down the tube, yeah. right? Because now you have a pin on the target that's screaming at you to let it go. Mm-hmm. And if you never practice the conscious override, it's going to completely destroy you. Yep. So you wasted six months of your life on a blank bail when you didn't need to. So, you know, your blank bail shot should feel exactly like your, or your aim shot should feel exactly like your blank bail shot. Now you just add the aim to it because now the aim means nothing to you. Yep. Just get it done and watch it to keep it. And that's how you can transfer some of that, but I don't recommend people do blank bailing to fix target panic. They it has nothing to do with target panic. So you're not going to fix it that way. Yeah. Even though, you know, instructors in the last few decades have recommended that, that's completely been debunked. Yep. So why
1: why is it that we keep hearing people tell us that we need to make stuff be muscle memory? How can people keep on saying we well, just got to make it? What led us to this point where everyone has been talking about doing this in such a contrary way to what seems to actually work? Yeah. I mean, growing up. I I had no real instruction. My Mm -hmm. dad and I kind of learned together. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, whenever you did hear someone talking about it, so many folks were—you just got to make it automatic. You just want to be muscle practice so much that Mm -hmm. you don't even need to think about it. Like that—that's this thing you—you want to do it so much and so often you
2: don't even need to think about it. Right? How did we get to this place? Well, when you think about that instruction, you know, when the person that gave that instruction—if they would have actually analyzed how they control their shot you would notice a few things, right? Number one, you would notice that they talk during their shot. That has been a pattern of success throughout the decades. All the people, the successful snipers, rifle hunters, bow hunters, successful shooters in high-stress events, they all say something to themselves during their shot. Every one of them to a person, they all say different stuff, but they all say something. Mm -hmm. And so the person that gave that instruction so many years ago they were probably a really good shooter, but they did not understand how they did what they did. So, and they never really analyzed it because maybe they're a natural-born decision-maker. And that's where the kicker was because people thought they were natural-born shooters. And I want to be like this person, right? So what do you do? You don't ask them, what do you think about when you shoot? You ask them, what bow do you shoot? What release do you shoot? What arrows do you shoot, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you very few people are going to walk up to levi morgan and say mr morgan what's going through your head at full draw yeah right and the answers that you will get when you talk to a lot of pros is they really don't know how they do what they do hmm. and that's that's the beauty of shot iq because i came from a horrible place in shooting right so i built this from ground zero there was i was not a good shot growing up. I was horrible, locked five feet off of a target, right? Shooting over the back of so many elk could make your head spin. But, you know, figuring out and going through the trenches on this stuff and really figuring out, that's that's what makes me a good instructor because I know what you're going through. Yeah. I've been there, right? And you may talk to an Olympic level coach And they never get to deal with people that are in extreme target panic, because if you had extreme target panic, you never reach the Olympic level coach. Right. Right. And plus with those coaches, you're dealing with uh, if they're shooting a recurve, they're shooting a mechanoreceptive trigger, right? They're shooting a clicker. So uh, there's this, it was always a a mystery and they always thought, think it's form based. Well, you can fix target panic with form. Well, Mm -hmm. There are things you can do with form to give yourself a better holding position that makes it not so strenuous on the body, therefore more calm, therefore now we are free to think about some other things. So yeah, there are certain form aspects that can help, but I would much rather gain control of the shot, complete mental control of the shot first, and then I plug form aspects into that controlled shot. And that's how we get... Bodie Turner's, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Geez, the the prodigy. Um, yeah. So so okay. We, we you talked about how form is of course important, but if you don't have the process, mm-hmm. it's not going to get you everything. You, you, we talked a little bit about releases and mm-hmm. why you know having a tension release like I was using mm-hmm. was helpful in a way, but you don't want me to be stuck there, right? So for somebody else who's in a similar place, who's had target panic issues and who's now trying to now develop a closed loop process and do these things. Can you talk a little bit about the types of releases that might be good for this this new world I'm living in now? What your recommendations would be or what we should or should not look into?
2: Yeah, so when you now that you know about closed loop work and how to evaluate a movement, what you're looking for in a release is one that you can set the spring tension. Now this is key because there's a lot of releases out there that don't have any spring in them. Mm. So the only thing you can adjust is travel, and that's not necessarily the best thing, right? You want to be able to adjust spring tension so that you can climb into it. Can you define these two things for someone who maybe doesn't know? how? What does travel and spring tension do in the release itself? Right, so travel is how much sear engagement there is, so how much the trigger has to move before it can go off. Okay. And... There are certain sear systems out there, which is the internal parts, two hard surfaces that are pulled Mm -hmm. apart until there's no more purchase. So there are certain sear systems out there in releases that have been around for a long time, and they're very robust, but they're very difficult to evaluate because the travel is so far on it. Your mind's like, oh, it's about to go off. Oh, my God, I felt that, (laughs) right? Mm. Most people never feel the travel in their release because they go open loop on it. Yep. Right? But when you're truly able to go closed loop, then you understand that you want a, a release that you can set harder spring tension, so you can climb in with no anxiety that's going to go off, so you can set a very hard initial pressure, yep. and then you make that decision, here I go. And then when you're moving, you have to remember that the initial movement on the trigger is not to make it go off, it's just to set the speed limit. Right? so we start into that movement very slowly. We're pressing on the gas, nice and easy. We're seeing the speedometer come up. And then when we get to the speed that we want, we hit that cruise control button, and then you just stay in that speed until it goes off. Mm -hmm. And so getting a release that you can put enough pressure on to do that, and the movement is long enough that you can evaluate it, right? So be that an index finger trigger, a thumb button, uh, a a hinge, there's, there's, Lots of good releases on the market today, but that's what you're looking for. When you learn how to go closed loop, you're gonna really feel like if you've got a fairly cheap release, you're gonna feel the trigger system in it. Yeah. So so okay. So probably
1: the first mm, first ten years of shooting a bow and mm-hmm. bow hunting again with with zero zero expert you know, uh, opinions or input on this, I was probably shooting like the $45 like, mm-hmm. hurricane or whatever, mm-hmm. something that, you know, you pull the trigger down, it opens up, it springs mm-hmm. back yeah, right. closed, like uh-huh. those kinds of things. Yeah, right. Probably a lot of new bow hunters and archers sure. start with something like that. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me what what you get when you try to do what we're talking about, but you're using that?
2: So when people bring those to my clinic, it's a beautiful thing because it's, the hardest work that your mind is going to do, right? So when, when I put you in that index finger trigger, uh, that's a good quality one that has no travel, mm-hmm. right? You can't feel any travel in that, and you can set your finger on it really hard. When somebody has to work through all that nastiness and travel, right? And they're hearing the release ping and mm-hmm. ding, and and you can feel the burrs and the sear yeah, and all that squishy. stuff. Super squishy. Right, super squishy nastiness. That's the best release they could bring. Oh, really? Yeah, because... If you can work yourself through that, you can work yourself through anything, hmm. bro. Right. So I have them, they're like, well, this is my release I brought. I'm like perfect. <laughs> right. And then once they gain control of that nasty thing, then I let them experience what a good release feels like. And then then the world is theirs. Right? So is that actually something you would recommend?
1: Like for someone who's who who knows they have this problem and they have to they want to tear it down and start back up. Should they, if they don't already have one of those credit ones, start this with the forty-five dollar one? Yeah,
2: I mean, try you, to figure it you, out. You could. Um, I don't necessarily recommend it, but if if you do bring one of those to a you shot, IQ, have it if and, you bring yeah. one to a shot IQ clinic, you're not going to be looked down upon. You're going to be going, "Yep, this will help." Let's see if you can do this yeah. one, tough guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So, so okay. So then, still on the releases, Uh-huh. and
1: you look at all the different things you can spend money on with yeah. a bow. There's a lot of different accessories yeah. and pieces of gear and the bow itself and there's there's all these different variables Mm -hmm. if i'm relatively new and i'm trying to pick and choose what i spend my money on Mm -hmm. is the release one of the things i should spend the extra money on to get one of those higher dollar better quality pieces
2: for sure okay absolutely and again you're looking for that you know you're looking for a trigger you can set spring tension in and you can set travel
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and You know, there'll be certain places that you can look for those screws. And if they have that adjustment and and hopefully the bow shop will allow you to try them just on a string bow or whatever, but you should be able to wrap your finger around that thing or wrap your thumb around it and work that thing slow enough. You could stop it and you should not feel any travel. Yep. Right. And it also shouldn't be so light that you're just trying to be dainty with it. Yep. You want to kind of handle these things, right? Mm -hmm. Wrap your finger around it deep, put it in, in between those first few knuckles that you got there. Yep and then work and see if you can evaluate that movement.
1: Yep. Okay, so for this person, we've asked them to spend an extra, I don't know, extra 100 bucks or something on the Mm -hmm. release. Is there anything on your bow system that you could say, hey, it'd be okay to buy a $100 cheaper of this or a little bit cheaper? I mean, this is kind of off topic, but I'm curious. If you were going to sacrifice somewhere and buy more entry-level something, Mm -hmm. is there anything that comes to mind that you'd be willing to sacrifice on?
2: Uh, if I had to sacrifice, it would be in the sight system. Yeah. You know, I mean, what you're really looking for in in the cheaper sights, you're going to deal with durability, right? And what the housing is made out of, but it still has the pins there. Basic function. Right. Yeah. It still has the basic function of a bow sight. Yep. So, uh, when you get into more higher dollar, you get into more screws and third axis and second axis and all this stuff and which is all very good, but you know, once you gain control of your release, then the world is yours. Yeah. <clears throat> the world is not yours if you just buy a better bow suit,
1: Yeah. Right? And you know, speaking of like third axis and all these different things, we shot a ton today. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than I've shot in one day probably my entire life. Okay. Um, I've never done a full day like this. Okay. Um, took a lot of shots. Uh-huh. And not once did you tell me to change something with how I was canting my bow, or I, was I leveling my bow, or... Uh-huh. Was I pulling my arm just right, or was I... uh, There was a little bit of grip feedback. Mm -hmm. But other than that, almost zero discussion around those types of things. But just by implementing this process, I was shooting pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. And not once did I worry about any of those other things. Is that because so much of our success as archers is because of this one simple thing, which is getting control? Mm Mm-hmm. Or is it because I already had those kind of basics figured out and I was doing most of that stuff good enough?
2: Well, your form your form is not bad. There was a couple times today when I saw you, your bow is canned a bit, mm-hmm. right? And your bubble level is not in the middle. Yep. But that was not my concern today. Yeah. My concern was you doing your job. And your job was to move the trigger slow enough you could stop it. Yep. And once you do that, again, once you gain control, the world is yours. Now you adjust your third axis on your site because you can't even zero your bow until you gain control of your release. Yeah. Because otherwise you're zeroing it to a trigger punch. You're zeroing it to pre-ignition movements and you don't know which one's coming. Right. Right. So are you going to grab the bow this time? You're going to collapse a little bit? Who knows? Your mind just has a Rolodex. Ah, I think we'll throw this one in this time. Yeah. Right. But now in, with control and closed loop movement on that trigger, now there are no pre-ignition movements. Now we can really zero our bow, yeah. and now we can figure out your bubble and your axes and all these things, yep. right? And we can figure out your grip. Again, when you gain control, you then plug in other form aspects yeah. or mechanical aspects, different sight, different arrow rest, whatever it may be, because now you can start to shoot the difference out of things. Yeah. Whereas before... <clears throat> no matter how good your form was, it's blown apart by a pre-ignition movement, yep. whether you like it or not. Yeah.
1: So we we took another step. We we spent a bunch of time here in the back just shooting you and you and me. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, all right, we're gonna go to a range mm-hmm. and we're gonna shoot a, a competitive course with another friend of yours. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I've never done. Yeah. Um walk me through why that kind of thing is is an, is an important kind of stress test I guess for this and I, and I don't know if that was on purpose but it, it oh, yeah. sure served like a served something because again I told you earlier I'd had problems you know shooting mm-hmm. you know pressure situations right okay. and reverting and right. so now all of a sudden I was shooting in front of more people I didn't know in the setting I wasn't you know comfortable with hadn't done before and then also there was a little bit right we were keeping score and all mm-hmm. these different things and everything so how does that how does that kind of has uh, that fire sharpened the iron.
2: Right, so it's all concentration practice. You introduce people that you don't know, right? You instantly want to impress them. Mm-hmm. And you saw how Kyle and I were going back and forth, just razzing the yeah. hell out of each other, right? We do that for purpose. Yeah. So that, you know, anything I say to him makes him stronger. Did you notice that when I would razz him, he would buckle down yeah. and shoot better, uh-huh. right? So- his, he has to get to a point where he can manufacture that determination when I'm not there, yeah. right? You, and you as well, you have to be able to manufacture determination. And that's, it's a lost skill. Yeah. I'm telling you, right? So now anything, you have to seek that stress in your training. You have to seek it. And you're going to get to a point where nothing really razzes you. And then it's only hunting or very high-stress tournaments, right? That's why I shoot Vegas. Vegas is the only tournament that makes my legs shake, (laughs) right? And I enjoy the crap out of it because I'm going to control my shot no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I shoot okay scores at Vegas. They're not incredible, but I'm getting through my counter-receptive trigger every single time, no matter what, right? So, and that's my goal there. Uh, You know, with, with Bodie, Bodie now has won Vegas, so he he's really good at using stress to make him stronger but that's because he knows how to control himself i mean he is literally screaming inside his head and the only advice i ever give that young man is to keep it moving because i know that if he keeps his release moving his mind is in the release and it's not in the aim it's not in the thousands of people that are watching him it's not anywhere other than that movement You know, even though his pin may be bouncing off the edges of the yellow, it doesn't matter. It's always going back to the middle. Yep. You know, but the person next to him is worried about their pin movement, and that's why he will run him over like a steamroller every single time. Right? (laughs) But this is becoming, this is literally becoming the norm of archery now. Mm -hmm. Right? This is literally a revolution that it's a complete paradigm shift away from conscious aiming to subconscious aiming, conscious shot activation. And it's not conscious punching. It's consciously moving the trigger slow enough you could stop it and exactly how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for me? What
1: would you, your marching orders for me, heading into the rest of this year, leading into the next hunting season, Mm -hmm. or right on through the hunting season, what do I need to do next to, to take that next step or to make this a permanent part of me.
2: You need to go shoot with people you do not know. And you need to talk a little trash, right? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, literally, hey, man, what's going on? Hey, watch this, right? And they're going to look down and they're going to think, who in the yeah. hell is this guy? And you're like, no, don't look downrange. Watch how slow I can move this release, right? <laughs> yeah. And you think about the pressure because now you have to perform. Yeah. You have to go hunt turkeys. Yeah. You have to shoot as many groundhogs as you can, right? Pretty soon, none of that stuff's going to cause you any stress. Mm -hmm. Then it's deer season, right? You have to, if you're allowed to shoot 10 does, then go shoot 10 does, right? And donate them to food banks or whatever you need to do, but shoot as many critters as you can. And then when that big buck steps up, it's not going to be autopilot, right? It's the same process. You get better and better and better at it. Like, in, in 2019, I killed the bull of my dreams. And that thing, when he came around, I called him in. He came around this root wad at 30 yards, and his eyes were literally rolled back in his head. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm hiding behind the limb of my recurve, and he's walking at me, and he stops at 10 yards, sticks his antlers in the ground, and starts throwing mud and sticks and all kinds of crap all over the place. And I finally get to full draw, as soon as I get to full draw, he flips his body perfectly broadside to me at 10 yards. Bull of my dreams, mm-hmm. right? And I'm looking down the shaft of that arrow, and I'm looking at the exact spot where my arrow is going to go, because I can see exactly where my arrow is pointed. And I'm looking down the shaft of that arrow, and every fiber of my being is saying just. Let it go, right? Yeah, I bet. Just let it go. You're going to kill him. Bull your dreams. Uh-huh. You've waited 14 years to draw this tag. Here he is. Here he is. Just let it go. Don't let the right? one get away. And I remember saying to myself, nope, I ain't going out like that. Because you see the antlers that are in this room where we're standing right mm-hmm. now, these were all shot with controlled shots. All the ones that are uncontrolled don't make it in the house. Yeah. They're in the barn. I like that. Right? So this bull... Is there, and I'm like, nope, I ain't doing it. And that's when I said, here I go. And I start pressing on that grip sear, and pretty soon, pink, that thing pops. I let the arrow go, and it went in the exact spot that I wanted it to. And it means so much to me. It means way more to me to stay in the shot process because at that time in 2019, I was still on the SWAT team, still a sniper, and all those things, right? So, I use all of these hunting situations for potential tactical situations, yeah. right? Where my determination has to be through the roof. Yeah. So it's, you know, and vice versa. I use the law enforcement determination, the knowledge that I can't screw that up, and I use that determination well in my bow hunting. So it was really this dichotomy of concentration, these two different schools that had to come together, right? Right. My archery helped my firearms, and my firearms helped my archery. Like, one of the best things you could do is now take that Taurus 44 nuclear magnum that you have, (laughs) right? And shoot controlled shots with it. Yeah. Right? Shoot that thing at 100 yards. I mean, it's a 100 yard gun all day long, right? If you press the trigger perfectly. Yeah. Right? And get big recoil loads for it, right? And press that trigger slow enough you could stop it. When that nuclear magnum bucks, your bow is going to seem real easy to imagine, right? <laughs> imagine. But but shot anticipation in firearms is not even close to what it is in archery because in archery your body is in tension and you are the explosion, Yeah. right? All that all that energy release is going to be through your body whereas in a firearm the recoil is generated from the gun itself, mm-hmm. right? So it's different and your body's not in tension with a firearm. You're not trying to hold this thing apart. Right. You're just trying to hold the firearm steady, up, yeah, right? So it's, uh, you know, when you say iron sharpens iron, you can certainly use your archery to help your firearms and your firearms to help your archery. Oh, well, that's, that's
1: the intention. I'm going to do it. I mean, yeah. I've had the same problem with, with everything. And if I look back, honestly, on all the deer and, and other big game I've shot over the years, um, I could probably honestly tell you only one of them. Do I actually, could I look back and say, I think I had some control. Uh-huh. I honestly think all the rest was autopilot getting me good enough Yep. and and yeah, enough times it would work and sometimes Mm -hmm. things were great. And then I, but I have enough of those other times where it didn't work out Mm -hmm. that to what we talked about earlier, I had that just enough is enough. I'm pissed off. I can't good enough. Isn't good enough anymore. Yep. And I cannot wait for that first time now where I really, it's not just, well, it was better. I -hmm. want, I want to be fully in control. Yeah and after that shot be like wow i actually did it all and you literally I had the home that'll be i'll, I'll be so i'll probably follow it, the tree i'll be it, so excited it
2: means so much to be in control because that's what mankind has been trying to do for a mm-hmm. long time bro so when you actually shoot a shot it's a controlled shot it doesn't matter what the critter is it will mean so much to you mm-hmm. right it has to mean everything to you and and people say well turner you're kind of a shot control freak well I want to control everything I can because I truly believe that the critters deserve that. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to miss a critter because I collapsed or punched my trigger or something like that. I'm not going to wound a critter because of that. Now, we can't control what the critter does, right? They jump the string, you hit a limb, whatever it may be. That's out of our control. But your trigger movement is within your control it is within your domain and i really truly believe that that those the animals that we harvest deserve that right 100 percent. yeah and that's
1: that's why i'm here i mean i was just yeah you
2: flew a long ways to yeah, get here buddy
1: it was a long flight <laughs> and i'll tell you this um i found i i you know as i discussed we talked before in the podcast yeah. a number of years ago i'd listened to some other things and i learned a lot and i took value out of that mm-hmm. um but taking this next step, you know, being here with you in person, mm-hmm. and I imagine if I would have gone through the digital course or gone to a clinic or something like mm-hmm. that, I do think that that extra depth and um, yeah, I don't know, it it took this for for me at least mm-hmm. to really get it all the way in, mm-hmm. and and it has been tremendously helpful to have you here to to see also to get that direct feedback. Like, mm-hmm. am I doing this right? Does this feel right? You know, there's something to be said about um, one of the things I thought is like I think this is a surprise release, or I think I'm doing this right, but Mm -hmm. not being able to see it myself and not knowing if maybe I am pulling here a little bit or something. So, all that's to say, uh, this has been tremendously helpful, and I thank you. Yeah, for people that want for people that want to either go to one of your in-person clinics, Mm -hmm. or if they want to check out the digital course Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Where can people learn about Shot IQ and, and all the different things that, that you have out there that can help them?
2: Yeah, so it's shotIQ.com is the website, and uh, Joel Turner at shotIQ.com is my, is my uh, email. Okay. And hit me up. And so we have our online course that is on shotIQ.com, and you learn all the things that you learned today. It's just you're watching my pretty face on a screen, yep. right? And it's just video after video and explain, explanation of the science, and then how to implement it with a trad bow, and how to implement it with every type of release uh, on your compound system. So that's a, that's pretty cool. That is sold globally. It's yep. it's all over the place, and people are finding. I mean, I get thank you notes every single day on that. And how it's you know changes their life or whatever. It's really cool to get this feedback. And uh, like I was just reading you an, an email that I got from a, mm-hmm. a guy from Italy, right? And he's, he's trying to translate what's going on, yeah. but uh, it's, it's worldwide and it is a revolution and it's really cool. So shotiq.com, that's where, all the, that's where it all happens. And then my live clinics are by request only. Okay. And so like an archery shop will request or a private citizen may request, and there are some, there are some minimums to hit with those. Uh, but just email me if you're interested in a clinic and and we'll make it happen. I'm pretty booked for twenty twenty-two, but we're starting to book into the twenty twenty-three year. So it's uh it's it's all over, man. It's that's, good. That's it's awesome. Good. And I just retired, so now I'm this is shot IQ full time. So that's exciting. This is my job now.
1: Well, I'm glad that you're able to spend all your time doing this because I think uh it's making a difference. It's helping yeah. people, it's helping I think, you know, from everything I've heard from other people that have gone through this process bringing joy back to people in a thing that they have enjoyed so much, but there's been this black cloud hanging over part of it. Uh And you, if you can remove that black cloud and bring back the confidence, which brings back the fun and the joy, Mm -hmm. I think that like you have said, I mean, it could be life changing. Yeah. And uh, man, after last year, I'm ready for that. 2020, (laughs) 2022, whatever this year is, I'm ready for a different year. So thank you, Joel. This has been great. You're welcome okay and that's a wrap appreciate you tuning in i recommend as i said already go check out all of joel's stuff his courses his clinics social media he's got a lot of good things going on and as you can see a lot to offer so thank you for tuning in thanks for being with me on this one or following along with this journey and until next time shoot your bow and stay wired to hunt at your local auto parts store, or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.